0: tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Teen Tragedy, State Department Murder, and Lost Adam's Diggings.
1: Hi, I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I am your other co-host, Robert. And this is Reenacted podcast about unsolved mysteries hosted by crystal uh, robert which is us the i people think people who just yeah. introduced ourselves
0: we said
2: that
1: yeah. so crystal yeah uh, you said you had something to talk about what is it
0: um i wanted to i robbie do you like spicy food
1: yeah at all yeah i'd say i'd say i do
0: what do, what do you think like what would you say your heat tolerance is you can take down anything or... uh
1: well if we're say dining at a thai restaurant and they have uh-huh. a little uh, i'm i'm referencing i think this is the system that bang bangkok cuisine on the corner of Virginia and what was it Mount Rose that Thai place in Reno yeah yeah uh, i yeah. think if i recall correctly they had like a, a rating system and it involved little, you know a little pepper and there's mm-hmm. they went from like 1 or or, or maybe none up to 4 mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel like my max is somewhere between two and three. Four four was intolerable for me the one time I tried it. (laughs) Um,
0: yeah, I was, I was thinking about it because I had a little bit of chorizo with my uh, breakfast this morning.
1: Ah, yes. As I often mentally picture you doing.
0: Just sitting down having a big slice of chorizo. Yep. And, uh, I was thinking. I was also watching the Great British uh, Bake Off, the latest season. Naturally, and um, you know they're British, and somebody made something with chorizo, and, and this one of the woman judges spit into it and like coughed, and I was like, "Really? <laughs> <laughs> like really though?"
1: But this um, how, my my goodness, this tastes like you haven't boiled it at all.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, these. I, I. I just. It's interesting to me because it's. Uh. You know. The. So there's, there's sort of like your physical tolerance of spiciness, right? Yes. And then there's the cultural tolerance. So mm-hmm. like, most um like Southeast Asian food, and I'm gonna include Indian food in this. Yeah. I have to order mild. Yeah. Because I. I can't. Because there's this very specific type of chili, mm. like the little thin red or green chili. Yeah that goes in that that is um too much for me but then when you but like mexican food yeah and the chilies they use like jalapenos and stuff don't seem very spicy to me.
1: yeah i had i have an acquaintance who we had a discussion about this once and mm-hmm. i guess what the unit for measuring the the intent the the heat of peppers is a scoville yep.
0: that's right yay
1: i got got one right um, And he was telling me that, like, with the you know Mexican food, like things mm-hmm. like jalapenos and habaneros, they're somewhere around. And I may be completely misremembering mis- mis- this, and he may be mm-hmm. may may have been full full of shit as well. So you have like two <laughs> layers of possible distortion on the actual facts. Just just a yes. disclaimer for those listening, uh, that like. They, they range from like 10,000 to 50,000 Scovels.
0: I think jalapenos might be lower than that. I think they might be around like 2,000.
1: 2000. And yeah. then the, like the peppers and there's peppers in India that go up to like half a million to a million or something.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, I think the spiciest pepper, unless, I mean, I'm, again, maybe my facts aren't right. here. Right. I think it's still the ghost pepper. Which is called, which is from originally from India, and it's called a Jaloka, I think. Okay. And I think you're right about that. I listen. I used to have a time in my life where I would have like someone would bring ghost pepper hot sauce camping, and you
1: just drink the whole bottle, throw
0: throw. <laughs> well, you'd put a little bit of it on like a you know a burrito, or you put it on a chip or
1: something. Mm-hmm.
0: But I really think the time of my life where I'm eating spicy food, like dare, like a dare. Yeah. Like I don't want that. I likes I like a little heat but I want there to be more flavor from the pepper.
1: And you're, you want it to enhance your dining experience not to act as some sort of challenge of physical yeah. endurance.
0: That's right. Yes. That's right. I'm not in that time of my life
2: anymore.
1: Yeah.
0: I, and uh, yeah. you know as it, it, we're all we're all older folks now and our I think we're all in some level of gastrointestinal distress at any given point of the day. Mm-hmm. So, like, why add to it?
1: Why, indeed. Um.
0: All that said, I have a very successful uh, hatch chili plant. I've been growing uh chilies this summer oh, cool. and adding them to things. But those aren't very spicy. Those just have a really nice flavor. Oh, nice, nice. Uh. So. So is that about four minutes of uh bullshitting that we filled <laughs> up?
1: <laughs> Should we talk the, about unsolved mystery, Crystal? I think the key is to treat it as something you know enjoyable to talk about with me, not as some obligatory thing that the people at home are are, are listening for. But I do kind of actually have developed the hypothesis, one that's completely huh. not based on any sort of empirical data, that our audience actually kind of enjoys these openings. Unrelated to yeah. the show, more than maybe what you suspected when we first started recording this hmm. show.
0: I I hope that's true. Yeah, because I do like talking. I mean, ostensibly, I want this to be a food podcast. <laughs> that's what I keep steering it we can, into. We can but make it. That's not what it make, is. We, so. we
1: can work on. We can work on that.
0: I. Uh, you know, I've heard from others though that we're a true crime podcast. And uh, that surprises me because I don't really, th- I, th- I guess that's the territory we have waded into now because, but it's only because we misremembered Unsolved Mysteries, including so many fricking
1: murders. Right. We were, I, we were originally going with more of a, either nostalgia or paranormal mm-hmm. sort of bent yeah. and we just kind of <coughs> fell into that world of true crime yeah. podcast uh, you know, one thing that might be interesting for me to do when this podcast drops, this, this particular mm-hmm. episode, is since we were on the topic of Mexican food and chilies and heat, heat mm-hmm. scovels and stuff, it probably does – and please, those listening, hound us on social media if I do not follow through on this – there is a still clip from Caddyshack Two that I will be posting on our social media in conjunction with this episode, because it involves Robert Stack being handed a food item in a tortilla, and we mm-hmm. can uh, we can evaluate it.
0: Should we take a poll on what we think it is?
1: Yeah, I'm 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 game for that. All right. Well, okay, now we've wasted enough time. We can get around to the episode.
0: So we're doing uh, season three, episode 15.
1: S- season three, episode 15 of what?
0: <laughs> of Unsolved Mysteries, of course.
1: <laughs> All right, so let's get to it. Let's talk about Russell. Uh, yeah, this is probably the more unfortunate... Uh, well, it's... hmm i guess yeah all right so uh russell evans was a young man in spokane washington and when they revealed right at the start of the segment that he was 13 years old i was absolutely shocked because in the prelude before the episode started when they discussed all the different segments you know they're describing this one and mm-hmm. I thought like the person they're going to be talking about was going to be like eighteen or nineteen years old. Mm-hmm. And I'm like thirteen. That that reenactor does. Yeah. The, why why did why did they get such a inappropriate reenactor to portray portray mm-hmm. a thirteen year old? He does not look thirteen year old year, years old at all. I mean, the, the, he looks as tall as I am. Which, as it mm-hmm. turns out, they reveal that even at the age of thirteen, he was what six foot. 3 inches.
0: Yeah, he was very tall. Uh,
1: yes. Um, he was a uh, y- you know, uh, young man really enjoyed playing basketball. Apparently he was really good at it and uh, if, if yeah, you say
0: he was about to, he was about to go pro. Yeah, well,
1: yeah if you're 6'3 th- at 13 years old uh, you, you really can't be stopped playing basketball by the other kids. You really
0: you you're just you're just you're just dunking on peewees. Right. Totally. In 8th grade. Yes. Yeah.
1: Well, Unfortunately, Russell... He was at a park with some friends, uh, including his friend Aaron. Mm -hmm. And we get a depiction of an incident that happens where some people come by and get in an argument with Aaron about his girlfriend. We don't really get (coughs) substantive details on the nature Mm of it. Just Mm -hmm. that, like, in the... In the reenactment itself, the the argument goes from zero to I'll kick your ass in about two or three seconds. It mm-hmm. is the most shocking escalation of events I have ever seen depicted on this show. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So the, the confrontation ends with the, whoever these people were who came by to harass Aaron, you know, th- I guess, sort of insinuating that next time there might be some physical violence or something. And so Russell, he went over and visited a different friend, called his dad that he was coming home, then ran into another friend uh, on his way home. And unfortunately, he did not make it. Uh, and this is where we get one of these classic unsolved mystery cops say one thing family says another according Mm -hmm. to law enforcement russell was hit by a car
0: that's right yeah it was a hit Hit and run
1: run. driver drove uh took off the family are not convinced Mm -hmm. they and they have a variety of reasons why they believe it may have been more along the lines of a car stopped and a bunch of individuals came got out an in an in assaulted Russell, and the main variables at play here are things like the distribution of bruising on Russell's body. Mm-hmm. Like instead of a symmetrical linear thing with the bumper across his body, he's got bruises scattered shot at sort of everywhere.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: the blood uh, pattern, blood, are sort of bits are sort of dispersed all across the road and uh, mm-hmm. there's a the thing about his shoes his shoes were off the police believe that like the the his shoes got knocked off in the incident mm-hmm. uh, but the parents are confused because the shoelaces are off of the shoe as well like how, mm-hmm. how does getting hit by a car cause your shoelaces to come completely undone and out of the <clears throat> the, the shoe which the yeah. thing is is when they mention that and they they go on with the sort of hypothesis that he was assaulted the other thing I wondered is like well how does being assaulted by a bunch of guys wielding baseball bats also cause your shoelaces to come out of your shoes
0: yeah uh, yeah (laughs) like I mean
1: it's I mean it's it's an interesting bit of you know uh, piece but I don't really know how it fits into either of these puzzles
0: yeah, I, I guess his parents are forensics experts in their spare time.
1: Yeah, when they went out with the uh, the girl who uh, uh, came across Russell's body, they yeah. uh, they they were carrying like a notepad and some photographs mm-hmm. with them. So <laughs> I'm sorry.
0: Well, I'm I understand that. I mean, here's the thing: either Russell was accidentally killed mm-hmm. by hit and run.
2: Yeah
0: um or he was beaten. Yeah. Um in either case are the cops trying to find the person who hit him?
1: It doesn't seem like it.
0: <laughs> no, they're just like, well, case closed,
2: shit happens.
1: <laughs> uh yeah, they if anything, I mean they 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 really seem more invest, invested in just defending their their assertion than in trying to track down the
0: well, yeah, I, I and I'm lis- listening to the evidence. I'm inclined to believe the cops were right. It was just a hit and run. Mm-hmm. Um, they did interview the kids that had confronted Russell and Aaron in the park, and they took polygraphs. I mean, that's kind of dubious, but you know, they pa- they passed the polygraphs. They had nothing to do with it, and I and I believe that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it sounds like Russell was out jogging in the middle of the night again. It was like what twelve thirty at night. At right. This point, right. He was found at, like, 2 a.m. by this woman. Mm-hmm. Why the hell was he out so late at 13?
1: I guess some people... Well, I, th- I think we can just account uh, attribute that to the variation in how households work. When, when you were a kid at 13, did you mm-hmm. have a curfew or anything? Or I didn't have anywhere to be at 13. <laughs> Where would I have been? Yeah,
0: that's... In the middle of the night, except at home.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. That pretty much describes my situation at 13 as well.
0: Like, where where am I going? Yeah. Um, The other thing... Well, of course, in high school, I had a curfew, and it was, uh, especially on a school night, it was much earlier than midnight. I mean, I would have been home at the latest at, like, 1030. Yeah. You know, because I had school in the morning, and even on the... I think it was, like, midnight on the weekends or something if I wasn't going to spend the night at a friend's house, so... Mm -hmm. 13 like you know
1: well and you know that's 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 the interesting thing about me in high school as well is i don't recall ever having an established curfew but that's Mm -hmm. also just a factor of i'm I'm just such a homebody by nature that the idea of even being out that late would just be mind-boggling to me
0: well also like if anyone else i don't know that anyone else my age was out at that time of night, and also, well, the, I think both you and I though lived in an area that was pretty like rural, mm-hmm. so like probably our our next closest friend would have been miles away, and if you weren't driving, right, at the right, time.
1: yeah, you you were,
0: and there's no public transportation. It's like how would you even have been hanging out with them? Yeah, everything is so spread out. Yeah,
1: the for me to reach someone, a friend that I knew to hang out with, would require about a five-hour walk, so...
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, similarly for me. It wasn't, like, just... I don't know. Well, I guess if you live in a town, you could be hanging out in a park in the middle of the night. But also, like, if you live in a town, there's probably cops coming by pretty frequently, too, I have to think, and telling you to... Because most towns have, like, a uh, curfew.
1: No, yes.
0: And they have for a really long time. I don't know. I'm not trying to say what happened to Russell is his fault, but I'm saying, like, it's a bit odd that he was just out running around (laughs) right in the middle of the night
1: (laughs) crystal Um, some parents are not as uh, strict as ours were Uh, (laughs) i don't feel like mine was strict though i think my mom was sensible Well, precisely some parents are not sensible some parents are just like all right son come back whenever you feel like it
0: um, i guess well and i guess we know what happens if you're running around in the dark and no one can see you you,
1: you get hit by a car just like you
0: might get hit by just a car. like
1: stephen king did
0: is that what happened to stephen king he got hit
1: yeah he got hit by a van or something back in 2002 2003 uh what? yeah you didn't you didn't hear about any of that uh, no, I
0: mean, well, I, mean not, I was yeah, not who, who, very, like, up with, I'm not up with, yeah, yeah, well, man. I mean, yeah,
1: who, who really cares, right? But yeah, no, he was, he was wa- walking, I guess he'd walk to a store or something, and he was walking back along the whatever road artery type thing, mm-hmm. and admittedly, actually, I don't know if it was at night or not, but someone just mm-hmm. accidentally hit him and drove off. And mm-hmm. then, of course, naturally, like, apparently in the last of the Dark Tower books or something, mm-hmm. the characters tr- literally travel to that incident and save mm-hmm. Stephen King's life. Wow. Yes. He he inserted that, his, getting his, his hit and run, uh, situation into one of his mm-hmm. books but anyway uh yes uh i guess yeah i mean russell definitely well and that's the uh interesting thing too because uh, he was over at a friend's place
2: mm-hmm.
1: um so like i guess his friend's parents were also kind of just like eh you can just hang out here until midnight or whatever
0: yeah i guess maybe
1: maybe it was saturday night <laughs> i don't know
0: Maybe, but even still, it's, like, I think, it, you know, at that point of the night, it's, like, you need to leave earlier or you're spending the night. We're not going to have you out running. I really just don't feel like my, my parents were that strict or anybody else, you know. Maybe when you're older, but 13, I don't know. Like, you don't have a car. No. This is pre-cell phone. Like.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: What are you doing? <laughs> Why was it some poor lady that had to find Russell in the middle of the street and his parents, you know, like. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not. It's not anyone's fault. It's just. It seems like maybe it could have been avoided. Is all I'm saying. Did
1: anyone ever have parties at your high school? Was that a thing? Yeah. Okay. I never. Not only was (laughs) I never invited to any parties, like, I.
0: I'm sorry. I would have invited you to my party.
1: (laughs) Oh, you had parties?
0: Uh, maybe.
1: Oh. Listen,
0: dude, my mom listens to this podcast.
1: <laughs> shit, shit. <laughs> uh Okay, uh, uh, Connor, you know what to do.
0: I'm telling mom. Other people definitely had parties at my high school, and I was occasionally invited to them. Yeah,
1: I... I... I throughout high... Like, well after high school, I actually had developed the hypothesis that all the parties depicted in high school movies were just, like... Mm-hmm. B.S. because it's like I never even heard of any parties happening at my high school, but hmm. that, that that
0: I don't know what to tell you, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, obviously, uh, yeah, that's okay because once again, I probably wouldn't have bothered leaving the house to go to anything anyway.
0: Yeah, um, I remember this. This is a uh, what I can talk about actually because my mom knows about it.
1: Okay, already, mm. um, and
0: it's actually pretty funny. So. There was a, uh, you know, I lived in a rural area, but there was a community that was a little bit more um, dense. And, mm-hmm. the, you know, houses are closer together. There were some parking regulations, I guess, in this community. Right. And um, uh, I had been invited to a party at one of the houses there. Well, I went um, with a friend. Okay. Uh, so... I had I met her there. We were gonna. She was gonna spend the night at my house. I met her there. Um, I parked my car that I was driving mm-hmm. on the street, and she drove us home because I had been drinking. She hadn't. We were being very responsible.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, she was the designated driver, and I figured you know she would just the next day drive me back to the car and I would bring the car home. Yeah. We had a plan. Like this was not this was not unreasonable. <laughs> we were being very responsible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, apparently some neighbors complained Uh-oh. in that community, and they called the sheriff. So we got home at like I don't know one a.m. or something. Went to bed. I was pretty hungover the next day. I got woke. You know, we got woken up to my mom rapping on the door uh, to my bedroom, saying, "Sheriff's on the phone," and I was like, "What?" <laughs> and she's like, "We need to move the car. They're going to tow it." And I was like. Oh, we'll do it later. And she's like, no, you need to do it now. So my friend and I got up and she drove me back to my car. But like, how dickish is that? Like some kids are having a party. The neighbors don't like it. They get the sheriff to threaten to tow everybody's car. So all those kids get in trouble.
1: Right, right. Like,
0: because the car is registered to your parents, obviously. So what they were calling everybody. So I'm sure there was a lot of people that like spent the night at that house too. Mm -hmm. Just because they had been drinking and they didn't want to drive. Yeah. And so there was all those cars out there. So they're waking up and they're like busting all these kids. Right. With their parents. Right. Because they left their car parked on a street, which I'm sure it was perfectly legal and fine to do, but they just didn't like it.
1: Yeah, I feel like if I was the...
0: Can you imagine having that much time on your hands as a sheriff <laughs> also?
1: <laughs> well, he could spend it trying to solve those unsolved murders, but... Eh.
0: No, it's it's easier just to bust up kids. We had a whole thing, actually at our high school called the party patrol.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: I'm not kidding. This is very real. Like, I think that these are small town sheriffs. And I think the only thing they had to do was try and break up part, you know, minors drinking. Yeah. It was like a big issue. Like, so we had to be really careful about, you know, not, not leaving too many cars parked in one area and not leaving things out on the front porch. Cause you didn't want to give people, give the sheriff's probable cause
2: yeah.
0: to come in and search your house. Well, anyway, But there was a group of parents that got together and basically drove around in a white van on Friday and Saturday nights trying to find parties (laughs) They called the sheriff's on. But let me tell you who these people's parents were. Like, these were the parents of, like, literally the hardest partiers in school.
1: Oh.
0: Like, the people who had been, like, arrested and shit. And it's like, yeah, your kids have a problem. (laughs) The rest of us are fine and getting good grades and stuff. And not getting arrested, so if we could just keep it that way, yeah. I mean, but can you imagine?
1: Well, I I would imagine that if I was an adult in a situation where someone was partying in the house down the street on my neighborhood, my upon seeing it, my first reaction would have been like, "Wow, so parties in high school do happen." They do, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. They really. I was I was at some of them. I just, I cannot, like, imagine being a parent or a sheriff and being, like, let's get all these kids in trouble and ruin their futures with giving them, like, you know, minor under the influence or right whatever we're trying to take it. Can you imagine? Yeah. I think most parents were, like, a lot more like my mom. And she was, like, if you need a ride from somewhere or you're not safe, just call me. I w- you won't get in trouble.
1: A sensible approach. <laughs>
0: And you know what else? I never had to lie to my mom about where I was going. She always knew where I was. I never had to sneak out. You know, she was just like, this is part of life. She's, you know, I wasn't getting knocked up. I wasn't, my grades weren't failing. I was okay. Yeah. And I had, like, an open door to be like, hey, can you come get me? Because I'm not safe here.
1: All makes sense. So,
0: instead of my mom driving around in a van, <laughs> trying to break up parties and get kids arrested.
1: Now, these parents that are driving around in the van... Yeah. Are they playing the <laughs> Ghostbusters theme or the AT team theme? <laughs> I think in their mind they were the AT. <laughs> oh man, must so, have been really exciting. God, t- talk about how boring their life must be, right?
0: I can't. Uh, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing? And it's and it was just this really weird thing of like they couldn't discipline their kids effectively. So they had to ruin everybody else's night. Yeah. Um,
1: the party patrol. huh?
0: Yeah, I have actually have a lot of stories about the Island County Sheriff and breaking parties. <laughs> I feel I feel like it's it was like, you know, Dukes of Hazard situation where we were just like constantly
2: running from the sheriff.
1: <laughs> Nice. Nice. Oh Your your life is so much and, more interesting than mine in many ways.
0: Yeah, but you're probably gonna live longer. <laughs> <So>. Damn. <laughs> who's who's to say how many years of my life I shaved off with all this abuse of my body? Uh anyway, Robbie.
1: Yes, so with Russell's situation, there like the only other sort of kind of leads we had on was he had a friend named brian who may or may not have been at the scene he told the father one thing told the police the other um russell was like calling out his name which could have could have just been disorientation from
0: Yeah. yeah yeah totally well, and then it's just, it, they seem very confused at the end as to who Brian might may have actually been. Was it your friend? Was it another Brian?
1: Right. Yeah, because then at the hospital, a Brian called to check up on, on Russell as well.
0: Right. Yes. But we'll never know who Brian is.
1: We will not. We'll never know. We'll never know. There's,
0: this is a no updates no, case.
1: We've been getting so many no updates.
0: I know. Yeah.
1: Oh God! You're
0: gonna have to remind me of this man's name. It's Richard.
1: I want. I want oh, to see what you guess.
0: Richard Speck.
1: Brad Bishop.
0: Brad Bishop. It's not Richard at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this guy, he's an economist. Yeah. Yes. The, uh, State Department.
1: That is correct.
0: The Treasury. Uh, State Department. So so, great, so great far,
1: great. you're getting all the facts correct.
0: Okay, um, I, I also get some locations correct, I believe, because Unsolved Mysteries gives us a very handy map. And I, so what happens is uh, in Bethesda, Maryland,
2: mm-hmm.
0: there is a call from a concerned neighbor about her her neighbors. Uh, she hasn't heard or seen them in, in a week, I think, five days. And she's very concerned because usually when they would go out of town, they would let her know like she has a key to their house, um, she would like water their plants, pick up their newspapers and mail, and stuff like that.
1: I never see my neighbors. I honestly could not identify most of the people in my neighborhood in a, in a any sort of lineup. Really? Yeah.
0: I know most of my neighbor's names, or have interacted with them.
1: Nevada, the leave me the hell alone <laughs> state. It really is. <laughs>
0: it's funny like the entire time i lived in reno i never knew what my neighbors names were (laughs) i immediately knew who my neighbors were in california as soon as i moved there and every place that i lived since i've known their names or had their numbers or we've had conversations maybe we didn't hang out but like i definitely knew who they
1: were fascinating
0: (laughs) yeah nevada's weird um Well, Bethesda isn't apparently very friendly town. So the neighbor lady calls the cops. A detective shows up. Um, she gives him the key, and and I guess because he has access, he can enter the home. Immediately see this is actually back in the seventies. I should mention. Yeah. So the show aired in nineteen ninety or ninety one, and the crime we're about to talk about happened in nineteen seventy six. Yeah. Um, so the detective goes in the house. He sees there's there's blood drops like on the precipice of the doorway Mm -hmm. um he starts following the blood drops up the stairs he goes into he opens the door to a bedroom and uh in the reenactment there's it's also weird that they don't have the actual detective do the reenactment
1: right right
0: usually they do this is an actor
1: yeah usually which is strange usually like they're everyone uh Almost everyone is all over trying to get into these reenactments. I mean, yeah. in the previous segment, we had the reenactment of Russell's parents going out with the woman who found this body, and they were reenacting the time that, mm-hmm. like, yeah. <laughs> she showed them around where the, she found it. <laughs> um, yeah, but
0: for some reason, I don't know, maybe it was. I don't, I don't know why, but the actual detective isn't in the reenactment so they show him in the reenactment going upstairs he opens his bedroom door there's blood everywhere yeah it's it's and
1: it's totally it's, Hellraiser in there
0: yeah I was well the way that the detective describes it he said there was blood all over the walls it was on the ceiling I was picturing it like that scene where Johnny Depp dies ah. on the 13th. <laughs> nice
1: I'm really proud of you Crystal for bringing that up
0: well hasn't everyone seen that movie
1: yeah i guess so you're right um <laughs> it was so, yeah it's so but it wasn't freddy unless freddy, it wasn't Freddie, unless freddy was a low to mid-level economist working for the state department
0: right right so the, the reenactment
1: uh, re- has a, a, an interesting moment though like after he looks mm-hmm. in at the room like you, yeah. there's that part where he goes down the hallway and then he like leans down and looks at the family photos on the, mm-hmm. the hallway table.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, I was trying to figure out what exactly was going on there there. The, the, the closest like explanation I could come up with he was he was trying to get an idea of what the family looked like in case he found the bodies. Is, um, is that it, or, or is it just? Yeah,
0: I think it's that, but it's also it's also when Unsolved Mysteries talks about who lives in the house.
1: Oh, so they're they're showing us, uh, yeah. Yeah,
0: there's the three sons, um, the wife, and then uh, God, what's his name again? Strickland, <laughs> Richmond,
1: Brad Bishop.
0: <laughs> what? What am I coming up with these names? <laughs> Brad Bishop's uh, mother also lived in the house.
1: Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's just it was strange, like the way they have him come over, and he's he's like leaning against the table, and he's looking down.
0: Uh, well, we cut from the reenactment to some actual like eight millimeter footage of the family.
1: Yeah, it's from
0: the uh, from the '60s or the early '70s, right? And it's it's pretty eerie. Mm-hmm. Honestly, um, it it looks. It, I mean, it is almost too perfect, sort of happy family footage like here's our new house here's our happy family here's the new baby
1: like Um, like so many like so many households at that time the yeah the veneer on the outside maybe did not match what was happening on the inside
0: well i mean that's that's what i think makes it so spooky yeah is on the outside, this family would have appeared to be a, like a perfect happy family living in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., you know?
1: Right, right. Uh,
0: so they give a little information about Brad Bishop. He grew up in Pasadena. He went to Yale University. Uh, shortly thereafter, married his high school sweetheart, and then uh, presumably he got this job with uh, the State Department and had been there ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to spend some time, though, talking about... Uh, Brad. Yeah. Yes, Brad Bishop's former <laughs> colleague. Yes. Okay. Uh, before we get too far into, uh, what happened to his family. Okay. There's this guy, Ray? Roy. Roy A. Harrell. And he seems like a real creepy
1: dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you find him creepy too. Do elaborate.
0: Yeah, he's just, he's wearing like a crooked bow tie and... I don't know. His outfit is like very Victorian
1: looking. <laughs> Chris, so he simply just feels more at home in another age. I guess. <laughs> he goes. He goes home every night. Puts um, somewhere in time on, you know, puts the VHS tape in and watches
2: mm-hmm.
1: it. Uh huh. He cries himself to sleep
0: um roy is basically our informant here so all the information we're gonna get for the rest of the segment that doesn't come from the cops is gonna come from roy
1: right now who knew who's who gave the information i guess they they just discerned it from like receipts or something about his shopping spree in the hardware store
0: yeah i don't i don't know
1: Man, but that 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 part of the reenactment is super intense. Uh,
0: yes, it is. So we're gonna we're gonna go back to nineteen seventy six here.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. Did I already shoot no. shoot through time? You're, no, you're
0: not. We're we're getting to
1: that. Oh so, god, but, time so, so complicated.
0: But unsolved mysteries isn't telling this in the order of events. Yeah. Either. Um. So Brad. It's car. Is found with, covered in blood.
1: In the Great Smoky...
0: The Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Yeah. Okay. Um, it looks suspicious. The ranger makes a note of it. They find out it's Brad's car. Brad's nowhere to be seen. Well, a couple of days later... Uh, also... Before we get to that, we do have the hardware shopping spree here. Oh man! Where a very crazed reenactor is like <laughs> picking up, picking up mallets and gas and shovels and.
1: He, he he gets a shovel, a pitchfork, a gallon of gas, or maybe it's more than a gallon. Uh, and picks up a slim jim on his way out. <laughs> yeah, and, and that that big heavy mallet, and. They have a creepy depiction of him walking into his house very slowly.
0: Well, they find the family. Yeah. Because in another park in Virginia, no, North Carolina. Yeah. A ranger is called to put out a brush fire.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He gets the fire under control and discovers, guess what? A shallow grave
2: uh... of five dead bodies.
0: Um, of course, in the reenactment, they show Brad lighting the fire and whatever else. But uh, so here's the order of events they think happened. Also, I want to talk about the reaction face of the uh, ranger in North Carolina.
2: <laughs>
1: yes. When he goes
0: to put out the fire. Yes. It is. Let's
1: talk about the reaction face of the ranger.
0: <laughs> this guy has no lines and he is doing everything with it.
1: He's making the most of the part he has.
0: That's right um so the order of events is this brad murdered his family everyone Mm -hmm. all of them uh all five of them in bethesda loaded up the car with the bodies took them to north carolina dug a shallow grave set it on fire drove to the great smoky mountains so now this is state number three Mm -hmm. so we went maryland to north carolina to tennessee yeah uh he gets out i guess they have a family dog
1: I was cu- I was curious about that as well because like they didn't depict a dog anywhere. Granted, they didn't really show much of the home life, but unless he he picked unless he was driving along after after the murders and disposing of, of of the bodies, you know, somewhere in North Carolina, he passed by like a general store, and out front was like, "Dog, free to good home."
0: Yeah, I I don't know where the dog came from. Yeah, and we don't know. There's no follow up on the dog. No, the dog is just in that scene. Yeah. Uh, years later
1: two years (laughs) yeah I believe two years
0: now would you believe it Roy Haskell Harold whatever uh, Brad's former colleague Mm -hmm. is vacationing and presumably vacationing in Sorrento Italy yeah and he goes into a men's room at the train station before he gets back on the train to Rome and he runs into a caveman.
1: <laughs> I was actually say, uh, I was gonna go with the homeless uh, vagrant from the movie Hellraiser, but caveman is all would also be passable on this.
0: Um, it's a it's a real fake beard, bad wig situation. <laughs> but somehow Roy places this man as uh, Brad.
1: <laughs> and let me tell you, like the the. Sort of chase that then happens is yeah. amazing. I felt really bad because this is a wanted segment with a murder, but I was laughing so hard as Brad is like running into a small table, knocking yeah. stuff over. It, it it is glorious. Yeah, he pushes
0: he pushes a nun. <laughs> yeah, there's a nun there, and he pushes her out of the way.
1: Can, uh, can you ima- imagine how like amazing that must be if you're on the run? And you're in mm-hmm. Italy, and yeah. maybe living as a homeless person, and you walk yeah. into a restroom, and yeah. your former coworker, yeah, from two years ago in the states, is there.
0: Yeah, what do you think the odds are that any of that actually happened?
1: You're 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 a bit uh, incredulous that that was a real incident that that I don't. You think I don't? Roy's th- making no. it up just to make himself feel. <laughs>
0: I don't. I think. I think Roy is speculating a lot. So the the motive that they're saying that Brad did this again. This all comes from Roy is that Brad's wife made him feel bad and inadequate.
2: Uh
1: huh.
0: And I guess Brad didn't get some promotion at work or something, so he's just feeling feeling bad.
1: So and uh, so. So the lesson is is like uh, for ladies to have a. a- a uh, nice meal waiting for their husband when he gets home from work.
0: Yeah, I guess. But again, all of this comes from Roy. So I don't, I don't know that Roy has all the information here.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess the, 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 the tell on this
0: mm-hmm.
1: is that we don't really even get any reenactments of Brad's home life. Or of Brad's no. family, really. So that's kind of it. There's no update. No update. God, how many straight... How many consecutive uh, segments have we had so far where no one has, nothing's been solved? Mm. It feels like a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, you want to go to a segment where it doesn't matter if it's been solved or not because no one is being chased or trying to find their missing grandma? Uh,
0: yeah. Hey, it's treasure. Yeah. I love Hey. You know me, I love a treasure treasure segment.
1: And once again, we're out in the s- Southwest.
0: Yeah, back in Arizona. Uh, didn't we just talk about Skeleton Canyon, which was also in Arizona? I be- that was like the last episode, right?
1: I believe so. C- Crystal, yeah. I imagine yeah. every canyon in Arizona must have some sort of buried treasure in it.
0: I, so I, I think every canyon in Arizona definitely has a story of buried treasure
1: in it. <laughs> oh,
0: these, these are fun. Mostly. <laughs>
1: This was fun.
2: I
0: liked it. I'm waiting for you to
1: talk about. it. Oh. Oh. Oh, yes, okay. That's right. You you said I would handle the actual story. The plot. Yeah. yeah, okay. You're
0: going to you're going to handle the plot and we'll all add the color.
1: All right. So, this involves a party of what? Gold miners, prospectors? Mm-hmm. Led by uh, some guy named Adams.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we'll call him Mister Adams.
0: <laughs> that sounds great.
1: <laughs> but the no the Adam par- Adams party went up into the the hills. They were being led by this was what like 1860s? They were being mm-hmm. led by uh, a a Hispanic guide who had grown grown up amongst the Apaches and. Mm-hmm. Knew certain locations, and he had told them that he could lead them to like a place rich with gold, mm-hmm. uh, and all he wanted in exchange was two horses, a saddle, two fifty dollar gold pieces, and a ba- bandana.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, what I'm trying to figure out here is
0: well, he also said. The prospectors could shoot him if he couldn't find the gold. Right. that's how he, he even
1: threw that in.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so, I mean, so he's certain that this exists. Mm-hmm. But, like, I mean, granted, you know, in the 1860s, two horses, a saddle, two and $250 gold, gold dollar pieces, and a bandana is nothing to scoff at. No. I mean, if you were, if you were a uh, private in the Union Army at the time you're in a year you're making like $150 more or less. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: getting like two horses, a saddle and two, like a hundred dollars worth of gold pieces Mm -hmm. is a pretty big haul. Yeah. Um, And
0: a saddle, if I recall from Red Dead Redemption can cost up to several hundred dollars.
1: (laughs) 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 Oh, are you enjoying that game?
0: I haven't played it since it came out. Honestly, <laughs> I, we got things got a little crazy over here, and we had to give it up
1: oh, for a while. Okay, yeah. Uh, so, but here's like, I was trying to figure out why did the guy didn't just keep, go there and get the gold himself, and I can only assume mm-hmm. he like the only conclusion I came to was he figured it'd be too risky to try to like recover any substantial amount of gold from there because of the local apache population yeah so and
0: i think he i think he knew what the situation was yes so
1: so. so what what he i guess what he figured is like he could lead these yahoos up there Mm -hmm. show them where the goat is he'd get his reward and could leave and you know they might be killed they might not but he got his Mm -hmm. uh uh, his cut
0: i i think that's exactly what the calculation was
1: yeah so at like they have this 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 reenactment like because they they reach the what appears to be the end of this canyon, but the mm-hmm. guide shows them that there's actually sort of a secret way and it zigzags in, and it leads them to this waterfall with like gold is literally just laying on the ground, mm-hmm. and like I really enjoyed when they discover it's gold and in stereotypical gold prospector manner they all are like gold 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 and they were run, run up and they start collecting mm-hmm. it it's 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 good fun uh but then eventually because because they started they they set up a mining camp and eventually mm-hmm. the local apache show up and they they make a deal where as long as yep. the miners do not go up on top of where the waterfall is, they can mm-hmm. continue out their business uh, as, mm-hmm. as they wish. And the segment almost <laughs> seems to give a vague suggestion that they agreed to this deal in exchange for one rifle, which mm-hmm. I, I, maybe the deal was more elaborate than that. but mm-hmm. But it kind of feels like that's what the segment's suggesting.
0: Well, it suggests it to some nice pan flute music. <laughs> God. Certainly.
1: <laughs> yes, Crystal. Would you like to talk more about the pan flute music? Because, like, when I heard it, I, I immediate, my mind immediately went back to the Magic Rock segment back in season one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so, there's actually some story by the historian. There's a guy narrating this along with Robert Stack, and he's a historian, yeah. I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And uh, you know he's saying that uh, th- literally, what he's saying doesn't make any sense. So, so the the segment is asserting that the gold is of no inherent value to the Apaches, but they know it's valuable to the white man yeah. for whatever reason. So that's one uh, sort of logic. Mm-hmm. The second piece of logic comes from the historian who says actually. Um, gold was seen as tears from the sun by the Apaches and it at least had some sort of sacred value to it if it didn't have a like trading or monetary value to it. Right. So the reason that they struck this deal is saying you can have what has fallen from the sky already but you cannot come up to the sky essentially. Yeah. You can't take from the sun is, is the deal that they're making. Okay. And, uh, apparently they're making it over this rifle and some nice flute music. Uh <clears throat> I, is any of that true? I feel like this is some this is some like noble savage bullshit. I, don't, I mean, I don't know enough
1: about oh. I
0: don't know enough about like Apache mythology or any of that stuff um, to weigh in as to you know whether or not that's part of their lore about gold.
1: What are the odds that the Native American portrayal uh, depiction in this segment? Is more accurate than the native depiction from the show F Troop.
0: <laughs> I don't remember F Troop. You don't remember, so remember F
1: Troop? No. no do, do you know of it
0: in any capacity? I, I no, I don't. Oh wow. Know. Okay. It was a,
1: um, it was like a TV series from back in the '60s, mm-hmm. and it's sort of a western satire parody kind of thing. Okay. It takes place at a fort. If you have ever seen a, a show like uh, The Simpsons parried it once, like uh, any depiction mm-hmm. of like a cannon, getting knocked down and it fires and it knocks down the watchtower.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, that's like that. That was one of the gags on F Troop that literally happened. Well, not maybe not literally, but that happened quite often on the show. That watch, mm-hmm. that watchtower with the guy with the guard, guard with the glasses, and it was always getting knocked. Uh, uh, tumbled down but yeah it's it takes place at this fort um the guy who played the son on mama's family Mm -hmm. do you know mama's family
2: yes i (laughs) i
1: I knew you would know mama's family the guy who plays the you know sort of vaguely simple-minded son on that yeah he was the captain of the calvary uh company stationed at the fort and um like and he had these two like there was a sergeant and a corporal that were under him who were at, like these scheming, uh, money-making type guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a... They're always having deals because their their job there was to monitor the local Native population who were called mm-hmm. the Hikawi. Mm-hmm. And these, uh, these were Native Americans that were uh, just, you know they they are looking for a good deal they're like just mm. traders and you know those uh, uh were, were uh just uh you know depicted as you know not not pr- particularly belligerent in any way they're mm. just like uh leave us alone or uh you know come come by and buy some stuff i mean they were because uh, the, the the gag was like the corporal and the sergeant were like trying to swindle the Hikaui and the Hikaui were equally trying to swindle the sergeant and the corporal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's F Troop. Uh, I'll send you a
0: <laughs> excellent. Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, anyway. Um, so yeah, I mean, basically, it was supposed to be. It, it's like you take the movie Airplane, but instead of taking place on an airplane, it takes place in a old west fort got it yeah uh anyway uh but <laughs> so getting back to the segment um mm-hmm. uh yeah the but naturally of course this well there's wait, wait, hold on so
0: they start p- pulling the gold out of the pit
2: yeah right, right. and then
0: they're storing it in a uh, coffee
1: can kettle or something yeah coffee yeah.
0: can <laughs> under the hearthstone of their campfire yes Okay, so that's important, but please continue.
1: I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad you established that. So, naturally, at some point, someone wanders up to the waterfall and comes back with this really big piece of gold, and they're the...
0: It's the the size of a hen's egg. Of a hen's egg. And in the reenactment, it looks like they've literally taken an egg and spray-painted it gold. Like, they took this very literally in the reenactment.
1: It is not only the same size, but perfectly smooth and in and, and yeah. the right shape. Yes.
0: And of course, that's not how gold <laughs> comes out of anything. So.
1: No. Um, so Adams, their their depiction of Adams is he, he'll he have none of it. He doesn't want any trouble, orders them not to. But naturally, like they're going up there when he's not looking and mm-hmm. You know, collecting gold and he comes back with one of uh, his fellows uh, at one point to find that the uh, Apache have um, uh, follow through on because they made a deal like Adam said mm-hmm. if any of my guys are up there collecting gold they can be killed mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they and so that's what happens and mm-hmm. Adams and his one uh, compatriot they slip out during the night and I can't recall like it, it start they they stumble up to a fort or something. We're, uh, and, and he's laying in yeah. in bed. He he tells the army surgeon all about the story. Right. Then we get a little bit of information about a guy named John Mitchell, who mm-hmm. this is many decades later in the early tw- 1900s.
0: Yeah, the 1920s, I think.
1: Yeah. Uh, and he's a railroad man who sets out searching for this treasure. And I guess his notebook, uh, much, mm-hmm. much like Sean Connery's notebook in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, is the vital, <laughs> vital source of all information on this treasure. But in the Latin alphabet, Jehovah begins with an eye. Mm-hmm. And they, um contemporary fortune uh, seekers have used it as their guide and we get a, I guess, a reenactment of the time that a treasure hunter, Rod Feldman, and Mick, McPherson? Uh, went searching for the treasure, and they show them finding, you know, the, the, the zigzag uh, thing, and where the waterfall would have been, and they find where the, the uh, encampment would have been, and they, they start digging up, where the, the, tre- the, the gold in the coffee can was supposed mm-hmm. to be stored. But mm-hmm. while they find some artifacts, they do not find the gold. And they, no. But what they do find is like <laughs> like part of a railroad tie. Uh-huh. And so they, they very quickly, and I, I, I would say probably logically, come to the conclusion that John Mitchell actually came, arrived Found the yeah, gold, and then took broke it. the
2: notebook
0: to throw other people's off the trail. I guess.
1: Yeah, which is strange because which doesn't like, make any sense if you <laughs> took the gold <laughs> he already. He has the gold. He doesn't need need. The only thing I can assume is like uh, maybe he did it for tax purposes. Tax purposes. I guess in the nineteen twenties, like if you just found a giant pot full of gold, you really yeah, wouldn't have. What to- is
0: that capital gains? <laughs> what do you, what would you call that? <laughs>
1: yeah, you know, it's funny. I think like. Is it in the Justinian Code? There's actually, mm-hmm. uh, I I can't remember. if It's in the Justinian Code or a later Byzantine Roman mm-hmm. law ruling. There's actually like this extensive uh, section about buried treasure,
2: mm-hmm.
1: like 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 that was a part of the Roman legal system for like a thousand years, mm-hmm. uh, and that actually it, it, that it makes sense because uh, if you're a peasant living like in the five or six hundreds and massive armies are always marching through. You're, you're probably going to become accustomed to like taking all of your uh, valuables, putting them in the bag, burying it and mm. uh, uh, coming back yeah. for it later. So yeah, that does make sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I guess like finding buried treasure was certainly, <laughs> it was not uncommon <laughs> at that, around that, t- those times. Um, the thing is, is they have that, they have this depiction and mm-hmm. if it wasn't for the quickly added little voiceover narration uh, uh, against the shot of the Arizona countryside saying like, oh, some other gold searchers don't believe the, uh, that they found the right spot.
2: Mm-hmm. If it
1: wasn't for that, this would be basically mystery solved, right?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I am dubious as to whether or not the gold ever... Here's a, Yeah, I mean, here's the problem with the all these treasure segments. As somebody pointed out in the last treasure segment, it's always the story of a story. It's third-hand accounts. Right. So we would be getting... The first-hand account would be the guy who went to the fort that was being treated by the doctor. So the doctor would have recorded. And then from that, we're actually getting the story from this guy's journal. Uh-huh. So this is a third-hand account. Yeah. That there might be anything at all there. And... I'm dubious as to whether or not any of this, uh, obviously the guy in the 1920s went looking for it, but whether or not any of this happened mm, at all. Yeah. I'd also want to say, I think when they had this, uh, when the 18th, it was post civil war, right? Cause I saw some guys were wearing civil war pants. I
1: think so. Yeah.
0: Do you like how I caught that?
1: I did. That was very impressive. So this is, Crystal.
0: <laughs> there's, I think this was in the 1870s. They're saying that this, this happened. Um, I'm, I'm very uh, questioning of the fact that we are asserting at this time that the Apaches have no... They know about this gold. They have no interest in it, but they know that the white man does. Right. I'm sorry. At this point, there's enough interaction going on with, uh, you know, Indians trading with the white man. There's an economy around this. And if they're not picking up that gold themselves to get guns and horses and whatever else, I don't buy it.
1: Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's a good point.
0: Even... Even, I mean, it's one thing to be like, oh, in the 1600s when Cortez came to Mexico, there was all this gold lying around and they just used it to decorate things and they didn't really see it as that valuable. I buy that. But at this point, there's been enough contact. You know, the Apaches are part of this economy, whether they want to be or not. Mm-hmm. But they're probably taking advantage of it. And to get things that they need, if they just saw gold laying around, they wouldn't be like, whoa, sacred. <laughs> Can't touch. They would probably be picking it up and using it, and taking it to the fort and trading. Yeah,
1: like I can get a rifle, and if I get you get
0: some, yeah, pots, you can get some it, some new horses. You can get all kinds of things. If I get
1: a couple more of these, I can get that like two hundred dollar saddle. Crystal was talking about. That's right,
0: <laughs> that's right. And I and I think to I think, I think there's a point in time where it's believable to assert that theory. But that's why I don't really think there was any gold to begin with, ah. because if there had been. And this part about the 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 Apache knowing that it's there, mm-hmm. they would have been picking it up and using it, and especially if it had no inherent use to them. Yeah, like they're not making things out of it. So they know the white man wants it. They know they can get things with it. Why wouldn't they be trading? Right. I I, I think I think none. Of, I'm just just the basis of the story of there ever being gold is I don't buy it.
1: So basically, if you were the one writing the movie The Goonies, yes. When they were trying to, uh, when they were following <laughs> the, the clues left behind by mm-hmm. Chester Copperpot. That's right. They would then very quickly discover that there was, in fact, no one I Willie really treasure. No, no, no adventure. Just Chester Copperpot was a guy who, like, went into a cave looking for some treasure, slipped and, like, broke his neck. Movie over. <laughs> well I f- hey I'm not I'm not I, accusing you of being like some sort of killjoy I'm just saying just saying I
0: no listen that's a totally different situation that was pirate treasure
1: uh, okay P- pirate treasure is more plausible than
0: absolutely yeah. pirate treasure is real man uh old old west treasure i'm very dubious about all of it just because there's there's just so there's just so many like this is what the fifth segment we found of uh arizona new mexico or whatever utah there's treasure in a canyon somewhere we just have to find it i mean come on
1: at this point would you say that magic rock was more plausible than this buried treasure
0: i don't, man no i'm not gonna say that don't put me in that position
1: but, but we garbage. know the magic rock i mean not that it's magic but we know it's it's a rock that exists in some form now
0: oh yes the, de- the rock definitely exists yeah, yeah okay so yeah. magic rock is more plausible because there were there was a series of events that were provable right we cannot attribute the causation to the rock but there was also a rock that existed
1: yeah Oh.
0: However, I I don't think any of this gold stuff happened.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we've uh we've pretty much debunked the everything yeah. on the show then.
0: Yeah. We sh- we really really <laughs> nailed it, didn't we? Yeah.
1: Uh
0: Robbie, how can people uh, get in touch?
1: Well, First and foremost, go on iTunes and give us five stars. Write about why you like the show.
0: Because we need it to make sure we get up every morning and continue to live our lives, basically.
1: God, we desperately need it.
0: Where we're at right now.
1: It's kind of one of the few things that even makes me bother getting up. And go to Twitter. We're at reenactedpod. Mm -hmm. Email us if you want at uh, reenactedpod at gmail.com. Go to reenacted podcast fans on Facebook. Oh, yes. We also have a Patreon, which I have not been mentioning in the last couple of episodes. But if you want to give us money, please please do that.
0: <laughs> well, we, and in return, you will get uh, what we we're calling rumpers only content. And we actually we are going to be having a, a, a very special episode about uh, cryptids coming out soon. Yes. So look, look out for, and that's, that's only if you're on the Patreon, you get that stuff and you might, you might get a little musical treat from me personally. In that episode, but we'll see.
1: Ooh. Yeah,
0: I've been composing music for these episodes,
1: nice. so
0: that's a little extra, a little extra for the rumpers.
1: And uh, and if you, and, and who knows? Maybe someday I can convince Crystal that an appropriate rewards episode would be a feature length commentary track for the movie Caddyshack 2 co-starring Robert Stack. But well. <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid we already tried Extreme Prejudice didn't
0: work uh, if you want to hear that press one on your <laughs> your touchdown phones now
1: oh wow well. all right
0: um hey robbie do you want to do the thing
1: oh yes for every mystery there is someone somewhere who knows the truth perhaps that someone is watching perhaps it's you join us <laughs>